Hello, and welcome to another episode of 50 Stories of Transformation. I'm your host, Michaela Leji, and I'm so glad you guys are joining me this week. We are heading into story number 28. And now, if you're a frequent listener to this podcast, first of all, thank you for coming back time and time again. But secondly, I know you guys know what's going on. So for our new listeners, if this is your first time tuning in, you just press play today on this podcast, don't worry, I'm going to give you a quick rundown as to what this podcast is all about. So 50 Stories of Transformation is a podcast sponsored by the Baptist Resource Network of Pennsylvania, South Jersey. Now you might be asking, what is that? What's that organization all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. So the BRN is an organization dedicated to helping, guiding, and providing resources for Baptist churches in Pennsylvania and South Jersey. So this handy dandy podcast was created this past year to keep track of some of the awesome transformative work that God is doing within the churches and communities a part of the BRN. And since the BRN just celebrated 50 years last year, uh, it works out perfectly that we're doing 50 stories. See how that's kind of working out there? All right, great. Now stick with me because each episode that you tune into is its own individual story. So that means if you are tuning in for the first time today, you don't have to go back and listen to last week's story to understand what we're going to be talking about today. So good news for you. You are good where you're at. You can jump right on in here with us on story number 28. And speaking of story number 28, here is what it's going to be all about. So this week we are talking about God's faithfulness. So encouraging stuff you don't want to miss. Uh, We're sitting down with Pastor Doug Pilot from New Hope Baptist Church in Duncansville, PA. So throughout the pandemic, New Hope has seen God provide for them in big ways. From financial needs to ministry needs, God came through. And uh, that has only strengthened and transformed the hearts of those attending New Hope to trust God deeper. So we're talking about that today and so much more. So thank you again for tuning in. And uh, without further ado, here is story number 28 and my conversation with Pastor Doug Pilot. Alrighty. So to start, I always like to ask uh, our guest on here to just share a little bit about themselves. And uh, that can, of course, include your uh, call to ministry, what that was like when it happened, and then um, anything else you would like to share. Well, my story begins back in about 1966. Um, the girl that I was dating at the time, we ultimately got married. I always thought she'd marry a pastor. And when we got married, I wasn't a pastor. And we lived in Westville, Oklahoma, while I attended college at John Brown University in Silent Springs, Arkansas. And one Sunday morning, I felt called to the ministry and uh, went forward in church. And they called her down with me. And we got home. She said, what are they calling me down there for? I didn't surrender. <laughs> she had to struggle with okay, all of a sudden my husband is going to be a pastor now. She and, knew. Uh, she knew. <laughs> but um, we um, we came forward from there. My first church was in uh, Barron Fork, Oklahoma, Cherokee and Choctaw Indians. Been a mission church for 10 years. And by God's grace, we were able to help them become self-supporting before I went away to seminary. Mm-hmm. While in seminary, I made two mission trips at uh, Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. Our spring break was doing revival meetings uh people businessmen i told was in texas made it possible for us to travel and go and do these things so i went to rome new york uh near griffiths air force base for a revival meeting and germantown maryland 
Actually, Barry Whitworth's home church, I believe. Oh, um, nice. And uh, that got me hungry for the Northeast. I grew up in South Arkansas. Uh, I guess I need to back up just a little bit. I was born in North Wildwood, New Jersey. I really got a circuitous life. <laughs> uh, my mother moved to South Arkansas when I was very young, and uh, I grew up there. Uh, wasn't raised in church. Uh, my stepfather was an alcoholic, and he wouldn't let her go. And she tried to take me, but it was it was more of a hassle just to stay home. So I grew up in the buckle on the Bible belt and didn't go to church. Freshman in high school, we're out fishing one day. I looked at my folks and said, I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to church next Sunday. And that's the Sunday I heard the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Advancing forward back to my college days, that's where we started ministry. And when I graduated from the seminary in 1976, I came to Greencastle, Pennsylvania, September the 1st. Now, that was my first church and uh, first full-time church as a not by vocational person like I was in college. And in a very short period of time, we needed to be able to have our own property in the building. We were meeting in a railroad station in Greencastle, complete with freight trains. And they always came through at the invitation time. Uh, we bought four acres of ground and built a 6,300-square-foot building debt-free. And I had challenged them. We had a very small congregation. I challenged them to build without borrowing. Um, one Sunday morning, my chairman and deacon stood up after the uh, invitation and said, I addressed the church. And that's always a scary moment because we had a He said, our pastor challenged us to consider building without borrowing. And my family and I have been praying about it. And we'd like to accept that challenge. Mm-hmm. And I made the rest of it feel that way. Well, even our visitors all stood up and agreed to that challenge. Oh, wow. It made, it made the local uh, paper Baptist commit to building edifice debt-free. Edifice, you know, okay. Uh, and by God's grace, in about a year and a half or two years, we raised enough money um, to buy four acres of ground and build that building. And it's still there today. And they've added on to it. And uh, I was there for 10 years. Uh, the most poignant moment while I was pastoring there is, is in the study one morning, and the uh, secretary comes running in and says, turn on the TV set. And that was when the Challenger blew up. Oh, and, no. Yeah. Uh, killed. That was something else. Um, after Greencastle, I moved to Wilkesbury. I was there for six years. Couldn't get them to buy in the building without borrowing, but God still provided over half the money. And uh, a friend loaned us the balance, and that all got paid back. Mm. Um, then I came out to what was called Conemaw Valley Baptist Association, which is uh, seven and a half counties in central PA. And I served as associational missionary for about 19 years. And then Nam came along and said, uh, we're no longer going to support uh, associational missionaries. You need to be a church planning catalyst. Mm. Well, I became a church planning catalyst for about five years and then retired. Ha ha. And I found <laughs> out that it harder. And somewhere in a time frame, our pastor who had uh, come up from Arkansas with his young family had been there about nine years and felt like God was leading them back down to Arkansas. And we were not in a position tired of the young family from away and I had just retired and I didn't really need an income per se they, they paid me a little bit but uh, with my social security and uh, Gladstone 
I was able to just say, if you want me, I'll service mm. faster. And long story short, that's what happened about three years ago. We ran into a whole bunch of things about the same time uh, with COVID. Well, the first couple of years wasn't bad, a year and a half or so. And then COVID came along. But one of the problems we had was our heating and air conditioning was shot. We had no air conditioning. Mm. The only heat we had was emergency heat. Then in the wintertime, it cost us about $2,000 a month to run it. Oh, I'll run a hole in your pocket. So we got some quotes, and it was going to cost like $60,000 to replace the system. Wow. And we had maybe 13 in hand. So I stood up February a year ago and said to the church, we're not going to go to the bank. We're going to trust God, and we're going to raise $60,000. All right. And uh, I talked to him about equal sacrifice, not equal dollars. Mm. Uh, don't expect everybody to give the same. Uh, suggested if they had some gold jewelry and things like that that they weren't using anymore, we could cash that in. We did get about $4,000 through that. One of our ladies, when the first stimulus checks came out, put on Facebook, wouldn't it be nice if we tied those stimulus checks? And people mm. did. And they tied wow. the uh, we had some other money come in that I have no idea where it came from. And then I guess God put us in the scrapping business. Well, we had <laughs> a lot of property and we had room and uh, the stories I could tell about scrapping. Uh, we have, there's three or four of us that have been at it pretty steady and we all have our specialty. Okay. We may not be able to put things together, but we can sure tear them apart. <laughs> and, but we probably raised, both. We probably raised uh, three or four thousand dollars at that time through scrapping. Oh, wow! But in October, from February to October, I was able to stand up and say to the church, "We broke sixty-one thousand dollars." And they put our new system in February. No way! Uh, and it cost sixty-one thousand three hundred and something dollars. Paid cash for it, and it has already been saving us money. And at the same time, replaced all of our. We, our building is more like a gymnasium. It was supposed to be a double gymnasium, but when they okay. got the first part built, uh, they didn't have enough money to build the sanctuary, so we took half of the gym for sanctuary. And if you go to newhopeduncansville.org, that's our webpage, and you can actually take a 360-degree tour of our property and our building. Oh, that's cool. And okay. uh, you also can see messages there that we've been doing. Uh, one of the but during that time, I also challenged our church. We had done like um, maybe 50 shoeboxes for Christmas for years. Mm. And Christmas before that February, I challenged them to 100. And we wound up with 112. And last year, I challenged them for 300. Well, and you were really up in the ante there. And I said, if we accept <laughs> this challenge, you need to understand the shipping is $9 a box. It's yeah, $2,700 just for shipping. We haven't put anything in the boxes yet. Oh, wow. Well, I announced that on a Sunday. The following Sunday, my treasurer said we already had $2,300 given for the shipping. What? And the rest in one week? Out. One week. That's crazy. Wow. I'm mean, trying to teach them by faith, you know. Yeah, really, I'll say. And, um, and I challenged them to $1,000 for Lottie Moon. I think we broke that by 100 150 Um but we we wound up with 306 shoe boxes that went to seven countries and i've been talking to them this year already about maybe going for 400 
so the whole thing of equal sacrifice, not equal dollars, and trusting God, I think has helped our people to really grow in trusting God to provide. And one of our sister churches is starting some uh, Living Hope Wellness Centers, and they're going to be doing coaching and counseling and pregnancy counseling. Okay. And their dream is to get a portable sonogram and a van for $100,000. Oh, wow. So I talked to the, uh, the pastor about that, uh, Kevin Howard up at Ramey, and I said, I'm going to challenge our church to raise the first 5000 well, they raised 6,600 and we're almost wow. from other sources. We're almost hit 8,000. We just cut down four trees for a lady, um, for free. And turns out that a friend of mine realized they were black walnut. So we cut them into logs and took them to a mill. And I haven't heard yet how much we're going to get, but it's supposed to be a pretty expensive wood. And that money is going to the sonogram project, but I'm trying to get, uh, our sister churches, I'm not asking everybody to give $5,000, though I wouldn't cry if they did, yeah. but uh, I'm trying to ask our sister churches if they would help us with this project, because we know sonograms save lives, mm -hmm. and by being portable, we can actually take it throughout the local region here. Our church has gotten committed to uh, the unborn. Uh, my co-pastor, Zane Dempsey, works with uh, open air campaigners and goes to college campuses and uses sketch art and all to engage students in conference uh, conversations. I've been with him on that. But about a year and a half, two years ago, he started going down to the abortion clinic in Hagerstown, Maryland, which is about two and a half hours away and preaching. And we've had several, he's had several saves down there. Uh, and then several local pastors and people have been going on our van with him every month to the clinic down there then we got hooked up with a group called love them both and it's one thing to ask the girl to not abort the baby mm -hmm. but if she chooses life all right there's formula and diapers and wipes and yeah yeah we have opened a baby pantry oh, we haven't cool. had our first client yet but we're there to fill that gap in the, in the beginning stages there and uh, we're, we're expanding it to it could even be maybe a young couple that just they have their first child and they just can't make ends meet yeah. we want to be there but especially for one who chooses life over abortion we want to be there with formula and all those things diapers onesies yeah. twosies Absolutely. shoes we, we've got we've got the pantry we've got stuff in it we just need people to give it to and it's all free so we're pretty committed to uh you know trying to save life in that area uh I would say that trusting God and giving what you can, and I've tried to stress all of this is above the tithes and offerings. All the things that go on in this church still go on, and that includes our tithes and offerings. So everything we do in these other projects has to be above and beyond. Yeah. Uh, you know, for one person, $10 extra might be a sacrifice. For another person, it might be $100. For another person, it might be $1,000. Um, I do know that we had a couple of deaths in the church, and some people got a small inheritance, and they tied their inheritances to the project uh, wow. above and beyond their tithe. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of in a nutshell how I got here, where I started. My first wife passed away from cancer. In 1992, oh, cool. shortly after we moved to where we are now, 
And when they found her cancer, it was stage four. She had 19 to 22 lymph nodes involved. She wasn't supposed to live six months. God hooked us up with a lady, a Jewish oncologist, who had this treatment protocol that the Wilkesbury Hospital had no clue about. She had to give us the information for them to get the chemicals to do this. And my wife lived for another six years. Wow. And when it came back, it came back with a vengeance and nothing would touch it. And doing routine blood work one day, the doctor came in and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're dying. And a week later, the blood work indicated we had maybe 10 to 12 days and pretty much hit it right on the point. So my wife spent the last 10, 12 days of her life uh, planning her own funeral. <laughs> we, we planned it together. She asked one of our pastors to lead the songs. And she said, if you leave one side song, I'm going to sit up in my casket and stick my tongue out at you. <laughs> God gave me the grace to preach that funeral. And uh, it was... Uh, thing and I am a gentleman that I had the privilege of leading to the Lord back in 1976 in Greencastle he and his wife came to visit my daughter and me out here in uh, Duncansville and the um, I, I was talking to him I said if you know a lady that's single or a widow that's a Christian I'd like to meet somebody well his sister uh, had lost her husband two and a half years before to mm -hmm. cancer and we knew of each other, but we didn't know each other because when she would come and visit the family, they'd come to church, Greencastle. And the funny thing is, when I was coming to uh, Altoona area from Wilkesbury, I drove right by an exit many times uh, called Avis PA, and she lived just off of that exit. No and long story short, we, we met in uh, August and... Uh, in August, and our first date was August 3rd, August 19th. She had an engagement ring, and October 21st, we were married. You were not wasting any time. <laughs> and uh, we, we've been married this October. will be 26 years already. Wow, Hard congratulations. And when I first came to Pennsylvania, uh, I was in Keystone Association uh, mm -hmm. with Greencastle. Uh, 17 counties and I forget how many churches at the time, 20-something. By my third year on the field, I was like the fourth oldest tenured pastor on the field. Okay. And a lot of guys had left and it had been, their wives were saying, honey, I don't got, doubt God called you to preach, but the kids and I'll be back at mama's house, which was back south of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> and so they'd have to leave. And my wife, my first wife was born and reared in the sticks of South Arkansas. Uh, and you go out and the road's gravel and that becomes more like a cow path and, and you <laughs> find their home. And she raised our kids here. She lived here. She served the Lord here. And when she knew she was dying, she told her mother, I've lived here longer than anywhere I've lived in my life. I've raised my children here. I've served the Lord here. I want to be buried here. So she's mm -hmm. buried right around the corner here in Pennsylvania. And if you know anything about Southern tradition, that you're supposed to go back to the family plot down south. Okay. That's how committed she was to Pennsylvania. Wow. My problem now is if God were to call me out of the state, I don't know if the wife I'm married to now would want to leave because all of her kids and great grandkids are here. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd want to leave, but uh, <laughs> anyway, it, it's been an interesting life and an interesting story here in Pennsylvania. Okay. What would be your next question? So, yeah. So you have talked about how God 
has been super faithful through even the pandemic and um, you guys are still able to, you're meeting now in person and go out and do outreach again. Um, was that kind of a challenge for your people at first when just just the whole trusting God faithfully to come through on financial means and just providing uh, through a really challenging time? When we got to the point of being able to challenge them, when I go into the bank, we're going to trust God. That was a new approach for them. Mm. I mean, God has provided for us immensely ever since the church has been in existence. But uh, mm-hmm. the, um, the the lessons I think God's used me to teach is seriously, okay, if we need this, instead of figuring out how we're going to get the money from the bank, let's ask God. I like what Corrington Boom said years ago, God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. We just need to ask him to sell a few cows. <laughs> and that's that's and one of the most recent things is one of our guys works at a local industry and they decided they wanted to clean out their attic and we must have hauled i don't know probably close to four thousand dollars worth of scrap away from there wow and then one of the owners had a car that they uh, wanted to donate to us and an outfit in the area that picks cars up went and got it and we got a $400 check for that car and we didn't do anything except tell them where it was. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that is just happening all the time. Mm. I mean, it comes out of the woodwork. We pretty much have quit seeking scrap because we've kind of hit all those goals. But every time we get the scrap yard emptied, we turn around and there's, there's more stuff. We don't even know where it all comes from. It's just there. And so I'm figuring, well, God must want us to stay in the business for a little while longer. But, <laughs> um, and, and still go back to the people and say, okay, here's this project and can we reach this goal? And when the pandemic hit, we were introduced to Facebook. Okay. And my cell phone has been our television camera for ever since March a year, <laughs> or a year ago, whenever they, they told us to shut everything down. And it hit around Easter time. And we were supposed to have a um, fellow from Philadelphia, uh, Tom Huckle, come and do a Jewish setter for us and that was that was the weekend they shut everything Mm -hmm. down and because we didn't know what was going on you know okay we went along with that but we immediately uh, Zane and I and a few other faithful people that just trusted God on this thing yeah went to the church building and we continued services online Mm -hmm. and then another avenue of contact with all of our people was we set up a prayer chain on uh, text messaging that uh, keeps everybody that has a cell phone is on that prayer chain. Yeah. And we, uh, we can uh, communicate, communicate very quickly. And any of our people that are on the prayer chain can post a prayer request. They don't have to call me to put it on. Mm-hmm. Some still insist on calling me, which is fine. I don't we'll <laughs> put it off. But they either, where they respond to the prayer request, that same bar, they can put their prayer request on okay. and everybody will see it. So that, that has been very helpful. We have almost instant communication with that. We can't even communicate uh, important news for the church over that same medium. Um, then when we started a drive-in service, and our first drive-in service was well attended. We have a little shed outside that we use for fall festivals and things. So we decided to have drive-in service. And the parking lot was full. People listened from their cars. We had sound system and everything. 
And the next Friday, President Trump said, let the churches open up again. So we opened up. We moved our few six feet apart. We got the sanitizer that was available to all the churches across the state a year or so ago. Mm -hmm. Somebody donated thousands and thousands of gallons of sanitizer. And we helped distribute that across the, our area. And we just spray everything down every week. And we've been meeting ever since then. And we're back to regular services, um, except Sunday night is we still do that mostly live, but we're starting to pick people up again on Sunday night. Um, one of the other things that happened last fall, uh, Pastor Zane preached to a series called Loving Your Neighbor. And when we finished that series, we're sitting there looking at each other and said, we don't even know who our neighbors are. So we started a visitation program. Okay. We have uh, anywhere from four to six people that come and they're praying while we're visiting. And there's four of us that go out in two teams to visit. And it's something I've known for years. People say, oh, visitation didn't work anymore. Don't tell me that. It works for the Mormons. It works for Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> if it works for a lie, why wouldn't it work for the truth? <laughs> and so what we've been able to do is go to homes and we've been telling people who we are and where we're from. And we now know who people are around our church. Uh, we're getting permission to have get their name and address so we can invite them to things. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to be around sending you fundraising letters or anything like that. But we've started some campfires this summer. Uh, uh, every other Saturday, the second and fourth Saturdays, we build a little campfire out there in a parking lot and set up some tables. We have hot dogs and marshmallows, mountain pies, s'mores. Oh, and anybody's welcome to come. And we've started getting a couple of visitors to that now. And we a couple of times have sent out invitations to people for things we're doing. And we've had people like we did a caroling uh, last Christmas. And we had a family show up. And we were asking them, they were glad you're here. Well, we got an invitation. Okay. Oh, nice. And we come up to the door. And of course, people are kind of looking at you when two guys step up on the porch. We identify ourselves. And I say, you know, Last fall, we did a series on loving your neighbor. And then we looked at each other and said, we don't even know who our neighbors are. And we're trying to find out who our neighbors are. And people who are usually behind the door kind of, who are you? What do you want? Yeah. We'll step out and smile and we'll start having a conversation. And then I'll eventually ask them, is it okay to have your name and address so we can send you invites to things that we're doing? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. And so probably about 25% of the people we talk to. Okay, we'll that's pretty good. Let us do that. And we're getting probably 20, 30, up in the 30 or even 40 range now of people that we have permission. So how have you seen, through? The, I mean, you, you just said your churches, you mostly had like 50 people, 60 people or so before the pandemic. And, and then it kind of dropped down. But I mean, that is, you guys were trusting God and were, <laughs> financially provided for in huge amounts considering it's not like you guys have less than 100 people in your church and for them to watch that and see that has that kind of strengthened yes, their, their ability to say yes yes so we can it do has. because uh, like i said three. <laughs> when we reached the goal on the uh, heating and air i stood up that October. And I said, I know a lot of y'all thought I was crazy when I said, we're going to trust God for this. And one lady said, yep. <laughs> <laughs> she was not holding anything back. But, but they, you know, what can they say? Yeah. We, we trusted God. God did it. And 
he gets the credit. Mm -hmm. And so when we bring other projects before them, uh, that, uh, that it's not so it's not so scary anymore mm -hmm. because they've seen God do it. Yeah. What we have to do is not rest on what God has done. We just realize what he's done. That's great. But what else are we supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. What else does he want to do for us if we trust him? Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's been an interesting journey. Hmm. So what does that kind of look like now? You know, we're coming out of the pandemic. What is that next? All right. What are we looking? What are we looking? Well, I'd like to see us get some more children and young families in the church. Um, I don't want to go there while they are gone. Hmm. That's but there were, some, there were some decisions made that I didn't realize were being made at the hmm. time. And it was kind of done really without coming to the people. Mm. And that was before my time. In fact, the very first thing I did, the first Sunday I was filling the pulpit, was I called for what I call a family meeting. We don't have business meetings. We have family meetings. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody that's part of the church is welcome, even our visitors. And... I just, I asked them for an hour of their time on a night that the Steelers were playing. And I have a lot of Steelers. Oh, no. Went two and a half hours. They did. Wow. They poured, they poured their hearts out. Mm. And I started building on that. Mm. Uh, well, okay, these are the things that have disappeared or were taken away and we're trying to rebuild. Yeah. So our next big obstacle here to overcome is to get children and young families families with children back in the church because mm -hmm. frankly right now we're a bunch of grayheads got a few <laughs> young people but not not a lot we used to have, at one point i was teaching 40 and 50 kids oh, in wow. teen class on wednesday nights oh that's awesome but that was several years ago now uh but that's our, that's our next challenge to, to to get outside the four walls reach more people mm. and visitation is one of the ways we're trying and one of the things I found has been true in ministry ever since I've been doing it is if you go and visit, you may not see in the beginning, you might not see the people you're meeting, mm. but somebody will show up. Mm. If you don't go, nobody comes. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up for us this week, but Pastor Doug, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and just sharing so many instances of God's faithfulness and just reminding us of how good God is and how we can truly trust him with anything and that he always provides. So thank you again for sharing that with us this week. Now, if you're interested in finding out more about Pastor Doug's church and the ministries they're involved in, um, and some of those ministries that they've been able to give towards that you heard about, um, you can head online to www.newhopeduncansville.org. And there you can check out their ministries. You can see information about their leaders and all that good stuff. So again, you can check out more about them online at newhopeduncansville.org. And while you're online, you can go ahead and head on over to the Baptist Resource Network's website. That is www.brnunited.org. And there you can check out the article that goes with this podcast episode, as well as all of the other transformation stories that we've done up to this point. 
podcast and articles are all there waiting for you to enjoy. Those, again, can be found online at www.brnunited.org. And, you know, sometimes using an app is just way easier. So, this podcast is also available for you on multiple podcasting platforms, including Anchor Podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, you name it, it's there. So, you can uh, log into one of those apps, your favorite one, your choice, and type in 50 Stories of Transformation, BRN, and uh, there you will also find all of the episodes ready for you to enjoy. Well, listeners, thank you so much for coming on back to another week. Um, Or if it's your first time, thank you for checking out 50 Stories. I hope you come on back and become one of our faithful listeners. Uh, But thank you again for checking out this podcast. I pray and hope it was encouraging to you and that you enjoyed this week's story. I'll, of course, be back next week with another story next Thursday. You can keep your eyes out for that. But until then, have a wonderful week, everyone.